नमो भगवते नमो भगवते निष्किंचनो नुभवान्न यथोस्ति किंचिद यस्माय बलिं बलिभुजो Rishto bhavan bali bhujam apite pitubhyam. Rishto bhavan bali Yasmai balim bali bujo piharantya jadya. Yasmai bali bujo piharantya Presto bhavan bali bujam apite pitubhyam. Presto bhavan bali bujam apite pitubhyam. Presto Natva vidantya sutri pontakam adyatandha. Prishto bhavan bali bujan apite pitubhyam. Yes, my body, 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 my body,
Without possessions, possessions. Nanu. Nanu, indeed, Pavan, you, you. Na. Na. Na, not, not. Yatha, beyond whom, beyond whom. Asti. Asti, there is, there is. Kinchit. kinchit, anything, anything. Yasmai. To whom, Balim, tribute, Bali, of tribute, Buja, the enjoyers, Api, even, Haranti, carry, Aja Adya, headed by Brahma, Na, not. Twa, you, Vidanti, no, Asutrapa, person satisfied in the body, Antakam, as death, Adyatha, by their status of wealth, Anda, blinded, Prishta, the most dear, Bhavan, you, Bali Bhujam, for the great enjoyers of tribute, Api, even, Te, they, Api, also, Tubhyam, are dear to you. You possess nothing because there is nothing beyond you. Even the great enjoyers of tribute, Brahma and other demigods, pay tribute to you. 
those who are blinded by their wealth and absorbed in gratifying their senses do not recognize you in the form of death. But to the gods, the enjoyers of tribute, you are the most dear as they are to you. Purport. Here, Srimati Rukmini Devi replies to Lord Krishna's statement in text 14. Niskinchana bayam sasvan, niskinchana janapriyaha, tasmat prayena na hyadhyā, mam bhajanti sumedhyame. We have no material possessions, and we are dear to those who similarly have nothing. Therefore, O slender one, the wealthy hardly ever worship me. Queen Rukmini begins her statement by saying, Niskinchano Nanu, you are indeed Niskinchana. The word Kinchana means something, and the prefix Nir, or as it appears here, Nish, indicates negation. Thus, in the ordinary sense, Niskinchana means one who does not have something, or in other words, one who has nothing. But in the present verse, Queen Rukmini states that Lord Krishna possesses nothing, not because he is a pauper, but because he himself is everything. In other words, since Krishna is the absolute truth, all that exists is within him. There is no second thing. Something outside the Lord's existence for him to possess. For example, a man may possess a house or a car or a child or money, but these things do not become the man. They exist outside of him. We say he possesses them merely in the sense that he has control over them. But the Lord does not merely control his creation. His creation actually exists within him. Thus there is nothing outside of him that he can possess in the way that we possess external objects. The Acharyas explain Niskinchana in the following way. To state that a person possesses something implies that he does not possess everything. In other words, if we say that a man owns some property, we imply that he does not own all property, but rather some specific property. A standard American dictionary defines the word some as a certain indefinite or unspecified number, quantity, etc., as distinguished from the rest. The Sanskrit word kinchana conveys this sense of a partial amount of the total. Thus, Lord Krishna is called Niskinchana, 
to refute the idea that he possesses merely a certain amount of beauty, fame, wealth, intelligence, and other opulences. Rather, he possesses infinite beauty, infinite intelligence, infinite wealth, and so on. This is so because he is the absolute truth. Srila Prabhupada begins his introduction to the first canto, volume one, of the Srimad Bhagavatam with the following statement, which is quite relevant to our present discussion. The conception of God and the conception of the absolute truth are not on the same level. The Srimad Bhagavatam hits on the target of the absolute truth. The conception of God indicates the controller. Whereas the conception of the absolute truth indicates the summum bonum, or the ultimate source of all energies. Here, Srila Prabhupada touches upon a fundamental philosophical point. God is commonly defined as the supreme being. And the dictionary defines supreme as highest in rank, power, authority, etc. Highest in quality, achievement, performance, etc. Highest in degree and final ultimate. None of these definitions adequately indicates absolute existence. For example, we may say that a particular American is supremely wealthy in the sense that he is wealthier than any other American. Or we may speak of the Supreme Court as the highest court in the land although it certainly does not have absolute authority in all political and social matters, since it shares authority in these fields with the legislature and the president. In other words, the word supreme indicates the best in a hierarchy, and thus the supreme being may merely be understood as the best or greatest of all beings, but not as the very source of all other beings, and indeed of everything that exists. Thus, Srila Prabhupada specifically points out the concept of the absolute truth, Krishna, is higher than the concept of a supreme being, and this point is essential to a clear understanding of Vaishnav philosophy. Lord Krishna is not merely a supreme being. He is the absolute being. And that is exactly the point his wife is making. Thus the word niskinchana indicates not that Krishna possesses no opulence, but rather all opulence. In that sense, she accepts his definition of himself as niskinchana. In text 14, Lord Krishna also stated, Niskinchana Jana Priya, I am dear to those who have nothing. Here, however, Queen Rukmini points out that the demigods, 
the wealthiest souls in the universe regularly make offerings to the Supreme Lord. We may assume that the demigods, being the Lord's appointed representatives, know that everything belongs to him in the sense that everything is part of him, as explained above. Therefore, the statement, Niskinchana Janapriya, is correct in the sense that since nothing exists except the Lord and his potencies, no matter how wealthy the Lord's worshippers appear to be, they are in fact offering him nothing but his own energy as a loving act. The same idea is exemplified when one worships the Ganges River by offering Ganges water, or when a child gets money from his father on the father's birthday and buys him a gift. The father is paying for his own present, but what he is really interested in is his child's love. Similarly, the Supreme manifests the cosmos, and then the conditioned souls collect various items of the Lord's creation. Pious souls offer some of the best items from their collection back to the Lord as a sacrifice and thus purify themselves. Since the whole cosmos and everything in it is simply the Lord's energy, we may say that those who worship the Lord possess nothing. In more conventional terms, people who are proud of their great wealth do not bow down to God. Queen Rukmini also mentions these fools. Satisfied with their temporary bodies, they do not understand the divine power of death, which stalks them. The demigods, however, are far, by far the wealthiest living beings, regularly offer sacrifice to the Supreme Lord, and thus the Lord is most dear to them, as stated here. Om Timidandasya Yananjana Chalakaya Chakshurum Militam Jena Sri Gurave Namaha Sri Chaitanya Manobhistam Stapitam Yena Bhutale Swayam Rupa Kadamayam Padantikam Deham Sri Guru Sri Juthapadakamalam Sri Gurum Vaishnavamscha Sri Rupam Sagrajataham Sahakana Raghunathan Bitam Tham Sajivam Sadvaitam Savadutam Parijana Sahitam Krishna Chaitanya Devam Sri Radha Krishna Padahan Sahakana Lalita Sri Vishakan Vidamsha E Krishna Karuna Sindhu Dina Bandhu Jagatpate Opika Kanta Radha Kanta Namostate Tapta Kansana Godangi Radhe Brinda Beneshwadi 
वृषभानु सुथे देवी रममामी हरि प्रिय वंश कल्पतरूभ्य कृपा सिंधुभ्य अतिथानाभ्यो वैष्णवेभ्यो नमो नम श्री कृष्णा चैतन्य प्रभु निनंदीअद्वैताधार श्रीवासदी गौरभक्तवृंद Hare Krishna. Today we are reading from Shrimad Bhagavatam, Canto Ten, Chapter Sixty, entitled "Krishna Teases Rukmini," Text Thirty-Seven. Krishna, who is Rasa Bihari in the spiritual world, in his original, most complete, absolute identity, is forever enjoying Rasa. intimate ever increasing limitlessly variegated loving exchanges in the spiritual world the whole purpose of existence is simply these loving exchanges in this material world for people who have by our own free will chosen to seek happiness outside of our constitutional nature as loving servants of the lord when we want to be the enjoyer when we want to be the proprietor there are limitless excuses justifications and facilities to exercise that free will but they can never satisfy the self because jivara swarupoy krishna ranityatas is our nature to love krishna and to serve krishna shri chaitanya mahaprabhu one of his most elaborate um philosophical explanations was in the holy city of varanasi on the bank of the river ganga to shrila sanatan goswami sanatan goswami is sambandha guru he is the guru for our all for our whole sampradaya in the sense that through his example his through his teachings through his empowered divine grace he's teaching us how to reconnect 
and reestablish our relationship with Krishna. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught through him. His example, he was a prime minister of a whole kingdom. He was extremely wealthy. He was like the very son of the king who had given him vast property, magnificent palaces, servants, jewels, and tremendous amount of independence to help him rule. He was also a most learned scholar, most pious person. While most people are seeking wealth, even compromising their own well-being for the purpose of wealth. Because those who understand how material nature works, there is the law of karma. For every action, there is an equal corresponding reaction. If you cause harm to another, that harm will come to you. If you do good to another, some goodness will come to you. It is all temporary. But when we engage in an immoral activity for the purpose of happiness, a person who is quite ignorant of how the world works, they only see something very immediate. I'm getting some really enjoyable physical or emotional pleasure. I'm becoming powerful. I'm getting more money. I'm getting more land. These things are fleeting. They don't last. And there's some sense of happiness there. But a person who understands the science of how nature works knows that if I cause harm to another by getting this, then I am going to suffer miserably. The amount of temporary physical and emotional benefits that I'm getting to enjoy now are just a very insignificant in compared to the suffering I'm going to have to endure in the future. In Sanskrit, sreyas and prayas. Prayas means a person who is simply concerned with immediate, immediate results. And treyas means a person who is intelligent. This is what intelligence really means. A person who sees into the future. If you know something is poison, but it tastes really good... You may have a few hours of really nice taste. And then you go blind and you go deaf and you suffer the rest of your life. Yes? So is that intelligence? 
by modern materialistic rationalization. It is intelligence, because that's what everybody's doing. Nobody cares about what it is going to do, how it is going to react in the future. And there are so many philosophies that we should live in the moment, we should be here now. Now, from a spiritual perspective, that's a very good thing to be here now, but it should be based on truth, not let me just enjoy, it doesn't matter what's going to happen in the future. But rather, every moment is a precious reality in which we could love Krishna, serve Krishna, and become Krishna conscious. So here we find Krishna is in this very, very philosophical discussion with Rukmini although it wasn't intended to be that way. Krishna never saw Rukmini angry. Whatever he did, she just accepted it and just served him and pleased him. But now he wanted to exert his supreme power by making her angry. But in this sense, Krishna is conquered by the love of his devotee. He is saying so many things against himself just to prove that he's not worthy to have a queen like Rukmini. And therefore, by... um, pointing out all of his various disqualifications, he's telling Rukmini, you should leave me and go somewhere else. (laughs) He wanted to see her get angry, but she didn't get angry. Rather, she was in such intense bravo or ecstasy of love, thinking Krishna's going to leave me that her whole body began to tremble. She looked down, tears poured from her eyes, and ultimately she fell to the ground unconscious. That was a very different experience. And then Krishna jumped down from his bed, from Rukmini's bed, and picked her up. It describes in Srimad Bhagavatam, just to serve her thoroughly, he manifested four arms. So he could simultaneously pick her up and wipe her tears and clean her body. And he was doing all these savas for Rukmini simultaneously. And then he said, actually, I didn't mean that. I just wanted to make you angry. And he, he explained. And then she was happy. And now she is responding to everything he said. Whatever he was saying was his disqualification. She's, she's reinterpreting it from a higher level than even Krishna spoke it to explain how it is. everything he said is glorifying him. 
His idea was to say, you are so qualified, I am so unqualified. But she's interpreting every word of it as, you are so qualified, and I am so unqualified. This is the beginning of true understanding of the spiritual science. The absolute truth is from whom everything emanates. Sarva Karana Karanam, the cause of all causes. Krishna tells in Gita, the tenth chapter, Aham Sarvasya Prabhavo Matta Sarvam Pravartate Iti Matva Bhajante Mambuddha Bhava Samanvada. I am the source of all spiritual and material worlds. Everything emanates from me. That the Lord has many energies, multifarious energies. And the Lord is simultaneously one with those energies and at the same time stands apart from those energies. The example often given is the sun planet. The sun is the sunshine. The sun is not different than the sunshine. But still, the sunshine is never the source of the sun. The sun is always the source of the sunshine. And a sun ray is non different than the sun, but a sun ray does not include all sun rays. But the sun includes every sun ray. Every living being is part and parcel of me. Krishna tells in Gita that when you know the truth, you understand all beings are in me and mine. So in this beautiful purport, it's describing how Krishna Nothing is apart from him because everything is within him. Everything is his energy. And if everything is expanding from him. So there's different ways of perceiving the same thing. And if we try to see it from a whole picture, we understand there's no contradiction. But if we only see specifics this and that, without seeing their, in, their relationship with each other, then we see apparent contradictions. For instance, in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, as the peace formula in the fifth chapter, Bhoktaram Jagatapasam Sarvaloka Maheshwara. And this is translated that Krishna is the proprietor of everything that exists. He's the enjoyer of everything. He's the best, intimate, loving, well-wishing friend of all. And he's the proprietor of everything that exists. And here we find Krishna is not the proprietor of anything. Because he's beyond a proprietor. He simultaneously is the proprietor and he's not the proprietor. How is that possible? 
He's the proprietor because he is the ultimate controller of everything. But this is just in a way that we can understand and perceive. But the concept of a chintya, inconceivable, we have to really broaden our, this, our spectrum of intelligence beyond human intelligence, which is impossible. But still we have to do it. And how is it possible? How, how is it possible to do what's impossible? You have to be humble. <laughs> you have to be humble to let Krishna do it for you. We can only understand Krishna when Krishna makes himself understood to us. We can only truly understand what philosophy is when God reveals the truth of that philosophy. Otherwise, it's just semantics and it's just words and it's just concepts and it's just jugglery of our intelligence to comprehend, to explain but to really understand, to grasp it, is only by Krishna's grace. We have to humble ourselves to Krishna's grace. In this sense, proprietor. Krishna is the proprietor of everything because he's Ishvara Parama Krishna. Satchidananda He's the supreme controller of all controllers. Shumi Sarveshwadeshwara Prajendra Kumara. Krishna is Sarveshwadeshwara. That means he is the controller of all controllers who think they're controllers and everybody else who's a controller. Everyone has some control. Even a little baby that just comes out of a mother's womb has a little bit of control. <laughs> And the mother has much more control. But then the mother is also controlled, and the father's controlled. Everybody's controlled. Ultimately, we're all, all humanity and all the species of life on this little earth planet are very much under the control of the devas. And the devas are all totally under control ultimately of Krishna. So he's the supreme controller of all controllers. So to be a proprietor means you have control over something. But at the same time, he's the absolute truth. Everything is his energy. Everything is not different than him. But still, for the sake of ras, for the sake of loving exchange, he is separate. So in this particular verse, she's beginning by saying that Krishna is niskinchana. Krishna said, I'm niskinchana, I have nothing. And he said, and the, the people who are inclined to worship me are the people who have nothing. And if you do worship me, you may end up with nothing. <laughs> Now, you know, if you were, you know, someone was trying to arrange your marriage and this is what your potential spouse were to say, that actually I have nothing. (laughs) 
And the only people who like me are people who have nothing. And if you marry me, you will have nothing. (laughs) You have to be quite detached to marry such a person. (laughs) Of course. Svayam Bhuvamanu. He was the king. He was the most wealthy person on on the planet. And when he decided to marry his daughter, Devahuti, he gave her in marriage to Kartama Muni, who actually had nothing. He was living in the forest, didn't have any house, didn't have any bank account, didn't have any servants, just lived. But he had bhakti. He had dharma. He had bhakti. He had love for God. And Svayambhuvamanu understood this is real wealth. Niskinchina. Niskinchina, in the sense of spirituality, it means the wealthiest person. One who doesn't need the things of this world because one is so atmarama, self-satisfied. And we find... Even King Pataparudra, Maharaj Ambarish, they were Niskinshana. Maharaj Yudhisthir, when he was king, they were Niskinshana because they claimed nothing to be their own. They understood everything as Krishna's. And they used whatever they had, their abilities, their intelligence, their knowledge, their wealth, their influence, Everything was in the mood of a servant of the servant of the servant. This is Nikhinskinchana. Sanatan Goswami, he gave up all the wealth and pleasures of the world to just go to Vrindavan. When he went to Varanasi on the way to Vrindavan, he was a he went from the prime minister and he could have easily just practiced Krishna consciousness in that state for the rest of his life which is what he was doing but he wanted he understood the Lord's will he wanted to give his whole heart and his whole life on another in another type of service so he voluntarily became a prisoner was put in an underground dungeon prison cell. All he had to do was tell the king, okay, I'm with you. But he said, I'm, I'm no longer with you. <laughs> so he was put in prison. And he had to bribe the, the keeper of the jail, which was completely not his style of doing things. He was the man of highest integrity. He didn't bribe people. But he had to. It was the only way out. And then he escaped. And he was a convict. Obviously, when the king found out, he was going to send people looking for him. He couldn't go by any main road. He had to be going through the forest. He was in the clothes of a prisoner. And finally, he came to one place where his brother-in-law, 
saw him in that state and gave him a nice blanket. (laughs) Because northern India, it gets cold. And he didn't want it, but just to make his relative happy, he accepted the blanket. And that's all he had is a blanket. It was a pretty nice blanket. And when he went to Varanasi and met Lord Chaitanya, Lord Chaitanya didn't say anything about it. Just for a moment, just for a moment, Lord Chaitanya glanced at the blanket. (laughs) He was really happy to see Sanatana Goswami. Sanatana Goswami, his hair was all disheveled and he didn't shave because he was just running out of prison. And he was in rags. He just had this little blanket on. And he was sitting in the courtyard of Chandrasekhar's house. And Lord Chaitanya said, I think there's a great saintly person who's sitting out there. And Chandrasekhar saw him. He looked around, came back in and said, there's no saintly people out there. There's no Mahatmas out there. And Lord Chaitanya said, but I, I, there is. He said, no, no. And he went and looked again. He said, there isn't. There's no Mahatmas. He said, is anyone out there? He said, there's this one beggar. Lord Chaitanya said, that is him. And he came out and embraced Sanatan Goswami. And was praising Sanatan Goswami. He was glorifying Sanatan Goswami. He was so happy to see him. Embracing him. They were both in tears. Can you imagine being greeted by the Supreme Personality of Godhead in that, when you're in that condition of running for your life? But in the, in the midst of this incredible loving exchange, Lord Chaitanya's glance touched the blanket. <laughs> and immediately Sanatran Goswami thought, he doesn't like my blanket. <laughs> So he went to Sanatana Goswami went to the Ghatan Ganga and there's this very, very simple beggar. He's not like a Mahatma beggar. He's just a simple poor person and he has a really old, torn up quilt and he's washing it in the Ganga. And Sanatana Goswami says, I will give you this very, very nice blanket if you give me your old quilt. And the person thought he was being insulted. <laughs> Nobody in creation does that. You give something valuable for something worth nothing? And it wasn't like it was Mahaprasad. <laughs> you know, from s- spiritual perspective, Mahaprasad, I, I've seen, you know, people you know, give, you know, everything they have for for a little piece of an orange peel that Prabhupada bit from. So from material calculations, the orange peel is worth nothing. And they're giving so much for it. Because the value is it was connected to Prabhupada. It was Mahaprasad. But this quilt wasn't Mahaprasad. It was just some some old person, what he wore, that's all it was. 
He says, what insult? Why are you insulting me? Just because you're rich and I'm poor, why are you saying these things against me? Sanatan said, no, 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 I really want to give you this. Please give me that. He said, really? He said, yes. So he took the old quilt. And then he came back to Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu wearing the old quilt. And Lord Chaitanya said, where is that nice blanket you have? <laughs> and Sanatan Goswami explained. And Lord Chaitanya said, this is very good. Now, the last tinge of material attractions that you have is gone. And Sanatan Goswami presented himself in such a humble way. Really as Niskinchana. Because opulences, there are six opulences. Wealth is one of them. Beauty, knowledge, strength, fame, and also detachment is an opulence. People are attracted to renunciation. Certain people. So Sanatana Goswami was a scholar. He was just a few days before a billionaire. And he gave it up on his own. He was from the highest family. Saraswat Brahmins from Karnataka. He had such fame. He had everything. But he, he presented himself to Lord Chaitanya that I'm a fool. I don't know anything. People say I'm scholarly because I know so much scriptures and everything like that. But actually, I really don't know why I'm suffering. But I'm suffering. I really don't know who I am. Who is God? What is the true purpose of life? And he wasn't speaking artificially or superficially. He was really speaking from his heart. Because Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he sees from outside in, from inside out, from the place in the middle between inside out. <laughs> he sees from above us, below us, on all sides of us. In other words, he really knows what we mean. He sees our intention. Bhava Grahi Janardana. In this sense, he understands the true heart of Sanatana Goswami. He really felt what he was saying. And therefore, Lord Chaitanya considered, you are a fit person to hear the truth. Actually, Lord Chaitanya said, you are fit to be my guru. You know everything. But just for the sake of being strict and exemplary, you are speaking in this way. Sanatana Goswami said, no, no, please, please. I'm taking shelter of you. And then Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu began his teachings with this principle. 
Jivara Swarupur Krishna Ranityadas. That every living being is by our nature eternally the servant of Krishna. And then he developed the entire Siddhanta and science of bhakti. He explained Ishwara, Jiva, uh, Prakriti, Kala, Karma, and then he went through all of these material aspects of creation into the concept of Brahman and the concept of Vaikuntha and the concept of Goloka and the concept of loving exchanges or Bhakti Ras. So when Krishna says, I'm Niskinchina, I don't have anything. Why do you want me? Rukmini is, is telling Krishna, what you said is very true. <laughs> and this is a concept which is very fundamental to the difference between the understanding of the um, Vaishnav school and the impersonal school. Because the concept of nirguna is there in the scriptures. It's a name of Krishna, nirguna, which means, guna means qualities. Nira means no, negation, with no qualities. So one interpretation of this is, if Krishna has no qualities, no gunas, which is there in Vedas, That means he can't have a form, he can't have a personality, he can't have relationships ultimately because this is all qualities. So therefore he must be impersonal and formless. That's the logical conclusion to nirguna, no qualities. But what Vyasadeva himself, the compiler of the Vedas, explains is nirguna means no material qualities. Because there's the gunas in the spiritual world and there's the gunas in this world. Sattva guna, rajaguna, tamaguna. Krishna tells in Gita, Dragunya vishaya vedanistragunya bhavarja. People in this world, they study the Vedas because they want to um, elevate themselves and get higher experiences of, of happiness within the m- three modes of nature. These one who is bound by these three modes of nature, it's very difficult to get out. But one who takes shelter of me can cross beyond it. Because I am beyond the modes of nature. So, Ishwara Parama Krishna Satchit Ananda Vikra. If we balance the two ideas, we understand what Nirguna means. That Krishna has a body, a Vigraha, which is eternal, full of knowledge and full of bliss. It is completely spiritual. The Gunas operate under the influence of time. Yes? This is how the description is. The Gunas in themselves are just latent. They're idle. 
But when time interacts with the gunas, it energizes them to start um, creating limitless varieties within this material world. But Krishna tells, I am time. As Mahavishnu, by his own will, the gunas are created, and by the time factor of his glance, he activates everything. So in this sense, Krishna's form is beyond the gunas. It's not material. It's not subjected to birth, old age, disease, death. Everything within material creation under the influence of the three modes, is limited and temporary. But Krishna is unlimited and eternal. His form, his qualities, his personality. So therefore, it's the most obvious thing to a devotee that nirguna means no material qualities. Janma karma divyam. Krishna says, my birth and appearance in this world is divyam. It is transcendental to all material conceptions. When Krishna was just a little child living in Gokul, his friends complained to Yashodamai that Krishna has eaten dirt in a secluded place. And Yashodamai is his mother. By his Yogamaya potency, he's covering her understanding of his supremacy. Or according to this particular definition that is given in the purport, he's covering not only his supremacy, but his absoluteness. And she's thinking, he's my son, and I must feed him. And now he's eating dirt. (laughs) He's going to get sick. Why have you eaten dirt? Krishna said, no, no, I never ate dirt. But actually, he did eat dirt. So how is it that the absolute truth is telling a lie? If we understand the absolute truth, then he cannot tell a lie. He's not lying. On a material level, it seems that way. But actually, he's only seeing it to increase the ecstasy of his mother. And to increase the ecstasy of all of his devotees for the rest of time. Because this is one of the favorite stories. So whatever Krishna does is for the ultimate welfare and benefit of everyone. So Yashodamai looks in his mouth. And in his mouth, she sees not only dirt, but she, the dirt was there. But she, Krishna created such a situation that she wouldn't pay attention to just the dirt that he ate. She saw the earth planet. (laughs) 
not just the earth that he ate. She saw the whole earth planet. She saw the, all the mountains on earth and all the oceans and all the planets and all the living entities. And she saw herself in his mouth. <laughs> and that was actually her. It wasn't like some mirror reflection of her. This is quite inconceivable. She's outside of his mouth, looking in his little mouth. It's only this big. She's seeing the universal creation in the size of a mouth this big. She's seeing herself and the cows and everything. And because she's in motherly love, she's thinking, what is this I'm seeing? Am I sick? No, I'm quite well. Am I dreaming? And No, I'm awake. <laughs> Am I having some mental disorder? No, no, I'm quite, my mind is very nice. Maybe Gargamuni, what he said is true, that my son is God, is Narayan. She said, no, how is that possible? Narayan's the supreme controller of all controllers. And my, when there's lightning that comes in the sky, Krishna cries and runs to me and, and cries, give me protection. And until I embrace him, he's very much afraid. And he steals. God. <laughs> steals from Gopi's house butter and yogurt and... All of these things, what, this is not Narayan. And when I chastise him, he becomes very afraid. And if I don't feed him, he cries for food. Let Gargamuni say whatever he wants. <laughs> but Krishna knows who he is, and I know who he is, and we know what our relationship is, and we don't care what anybody else says. So she's thinking all these things while she's seeing the universe within his mouth. And this is her love. So she saw it. Nothing's inside. Everything is inside of Krishna. Nothing is outside of Krishna. The whole existence. But still, as soon as she closed her mouth, she was thinking, if I don't feed Krishna, he'll be hungry. And she gave Krishna her milk. This is really incredible philosophy. She just saw herself, the creation, all the cows, everything inside of Krishna. But yet she's thinking, if I don't put little milk inside of Krishna, he'll be hungry. This is bhakti. And the example given here that Srila Prabhupada often gave, if you take water from Ganga and offer it to Ganga, you shouldn't be proud thinking, Ganga, just see how generous I am. <laughs> Let the world know that I have given water to Mother Ganga. Ganga is not concerned with the quantity of water you give her. She's concerned with the sincerity of our devotion. Because she's our mother. The example is given here of our, if our mother or father, father gives us money, and we go and give him, buy him a gift with that money. 
Now, the father could be very honest and intellectual and say, son, the son runs up and says, father, father, it's your birthday. I buy you this gift. Please give, take this gift. And the father said, you're such a fool. You just buy money. You use my money to buy that gift. How could you think that you're giving me the gift? You just took the money I gave you and bought this gift. So what, what is the use? You're, I couldn't care less about your gift. I could have bought something I liked better with that money. Yeah, his father could say that. And actually, materially, it's true. It's completely true. The father is not concerned with them. He's concerned with that my son could have used that money for anything else, but he used it to show his love for me. And even if it's something that the father, if anybody else would have given it to him, he would have probably just given it away or thrown it away because this is a useless thing. What do I need this for? But because it was given for the, by the love of the son, the father keeps it in a safe place. And 60 years later, the father shows it to the great-grandchildren. <laughs> this is what he gave me. Yes, it's very important to him. Because love is most important. So in a similar way, when we offer to Ganga, she's our mother. She doesn't need our water. It's her water. But when it's offered with love, she really accepts it. She becomes overwhelmed with joy. So Krishna's showing Yashoda Mai that actually everything's within me, but still if you offer me something. I'll be very, I'll be so happy. Ram told Hanuman, Krishna told gopis, that there's no possibility that I could repay you for what you have given me. He told gopis, in a lifetime of Brahma, I can never repay you for what you've given me. That is the power of devotion. So here is Rukmini. She's fanning Krishna with Chamara. But in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna tells that these eight material elements, earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, ego, they are all my separated external material energy. They're Krishna's energy. They're coming from Krishna. They're within Krishna. Air is wind. So she's just... All the wind in the entire... All the air in the entire existence is coming from Krishna. It's within Krishna. And she's just going... How much air is there in Yes, this morning the Pujari and Mangalarti is with the Chamara going. How much air is there compared to the mass total of all air and all the planets and all the universes? Hare Krishna. 
Krishna is so pleased with that little bit of error that's going on here. And he's seeing the errors going on Radharani and he's, oh, Radharani's getting such nice air. <laughs> and Radharani is thinking, Gopinath's getting such nice air. They're so happy. Not because of the air. <laughs> but because it's being, because it's, it's an exchange of devotion. So Rukmini is the supreme goddess of fortune. It's so simple. Rukmini, what can she give Krishna? Lakshmi is, a, is an expansion of Rukmini. But yet she's just fanning him, little air. And actually the maidservant was fanning her first because anyone could go like that. We see so many of our little children, they have their little chamaras and they run up to Prabhupada and go like this and they run up to the deities and go like this. So any little child. Fanning is a simple thing. You don't need a PhD. You don't need a Bhakti Shastri or Bhakti Vaibhav certificate. I've seen little babies who can't even walk. Mother puts a chamara and they go. <laughs> so Rukmini took what the maidservant was doing and was fanning with such love that that air, that air was nectar to Krishna. So in this beautiful verse today, she is where Krishna is speaking from the perspective of material evaluation. He's analyzing himself. And he's showing so many disqualifications. And Rukmini Devi is taking it from the absolute, pure spiritual consideration and using the same words to glorify him. Niskinjana. Kunti Devi, when she was the mother queen, after the battle of Kurukshetra, Yudhisthira Maharaj was coronated as the emperor of the world, and, and Bhima Arjuna and Nakula Sahadev they were all in the highest position of, of influence and power and wealth. And she's their mother. After so many years of living in trauma and tragedy and loss, even at one time her and her sons were hiding together at Ekachakra. After the um, Kurus headed by Duryodhana and Shakuni and they tried to burn Kunti and, the, and her children alive in the house of lack they were hiding they actually had nothing materially and now she's the queen mother they have everything and she's offering her prayers to Krishna. 
and she's telling Krishna, Janmaishwarya Shruti Shripya, you are the property of those who have nothing. Akinchita Gocharam. Because people who have a lot of wealth and a lot of beauty and a lot of fame, a lot of strength, high birth, very good education and knowledge, they become proud. They can't take shelter of you. They can't cry out your holy name. Even if they become religious, it's so superficial and external. You are the property of those who deeply understand that they have nothing. That they are absolutely, completely dependent on you. And this is the, sto- the theme of so many of the stories Shukadev Goswami narrates to Parikshit Maharaj in the Srimad Bhagavatam. Gajendra was the king of the forest. He was such a powerful elephant. Even the lions and the tigers and everyone did their pranams to him. <laughs> he was so powerful. And he had such beautiful wives. By elephant calculation. <laughs> <laughs> and he had such nice children. And it was just, he was just living the highest life you could imagine as far as just every, he was the king, he was the controller, he had such a family, there was so much affection, everything was there. And he brought his family to a really nice pond of water in a beautiful area. It was actually heavenly. And he went into the water and it was such nice water. And the water was so cooling and refreshing and clean and, and sweet. He wanted to, he was throwing it on his family and they were all so happy. <laughs> Not only the water was so nice, but it was thrown on them by the love of their father and their husband. And so in this way, it was such a nice it was like the summit of material enjoyment he was having with them. But the problem with the water is you can't see what's under the water. So similarly, within this world, whoever we are, whatever we have, even in the summit of of, of Everything that we always wanted, we're in the midst of enjoying that. We don't know what's under the water. Suddenly, (laughs) something grabs onto his leg. Really painful. It's a crocodile. And Gajendra is fighting with the crocodile, fighting, fighting, fighting with all of his might. And he somehow tries to drag the crocodile. He knows if he could get the crocodile out of the water, then he has more strength. But if the crocodile keeps him in the water, he doesn't have anything to eat. But the crocodile's eating. All he needs is water. 
So the crocodile is fighting and fighting and Gajendra is fighting and fighting and, and Gajendra looks to his children and his wives and his friends and everybody and nobody could do anything to help him. They're all just standing on the banks of the pond crying, what is happening to our loved one? And he's thinking, they can't help me. And as the hours and hours and hours go by, he's getting weaker and weaker and weaker, and the crocodile's getting stronger and stronger and stronger, and he realized, I have no power to protect myself, and there is no one in this world that can help me in my condition. This crocodile represents every type of challenge that we have in our life. Some people are bit by the crocodile of some disease. No matter what they have, the crocodile just doesn't let them go. (laughs) It's killing them. Sometimes it's just a mental condition where somebody says something or somebody does something or something happens and it's just like a crocodile biting us in in our subtle body and we just can't get rid of that crocodile and it's just dragging us down yes how many of you have crocodiles in your life (laughs) yes you may be you may be flying in an airplane and it goes down to crash it's like a crocodile what could you do Maybe be driving in a car and there's a traffic jam in Mumbai and you have to be, and you have to it's your it's your daughter's marriage and the mahorta is at this time and it has to be at this time otherwise everything becomes inauspicious and you're caught in a traffic jam and you tell the driver just fly over all the cars <laughs> And the driver says, I've, I don't know how to do that. You know? <laughs> so what can you do? You're helpless. You're in a crocodile of a situation. It's beyond your control. There's so many things like this. Adiyatmaka, adidaivaka, adibotika. Misery is caused by our own mind and body. Misery is caused by other beings, especially humans. <laughs> or mosquitoes or other beings or miseries caused by natural disturbances it's all like crocodiles and so many times some things we can actually resolve by our own intelligence or our own influence or our own powers but other things are beyond so the crocodile was dragging Gajendra down And at a certain point he realized, there's nothing myself or anyone can do to save me. And it was then that he remembered his previous life of being a great devotee. And the prayers he learned. As long as he was absorbed in material ways of life and he was quite successful doing it, those those spiritual assets he had just remained so much in the background 
But now it was all he had left. He was niskinchina. He realized, I have nothing. Actually, he was still the king. (laughs) He still had his wives and his children all around him. He still had everything he used to have. But by the grace of the crocodile, he realized (laughs) that actually none of it's really mine. And it all could be taken away from me in a moment. So he was miskinchina. And in that state, he plucked a single lotus flower. And in that pond, there were so many lotus flowers. And he offered it to Lord Narayan and offered beautiful prayers. And in his prayers, Krishna, I'm yours. I, I give my heart, my body, my mind, my words, my life, everything I offer to you. Take shelter of you. If you want to kill me, if you want to protect me, it doesn't matter anymore. I'm yours. Shadanagati. That was his surrender. But you cannot actually surrender unless you're niskinchina, unless you realize that everything ultimately belongs to the Lord. I'm yours. And Lord Vishnu came down on Garuda. And within a moment, He cut off the crocodile's mouth. Yes? A crocodile without a mouth doesn't have much much influence on anyone. Because that's where their strength is. It's in their teeth and their mouth. And all of a sudden his mouth gets cut off. And then Lord Vishnu restores the crocodile to a demigod. And then he respires, and then he tells Gajendra, you come with me back to Godhead. And he took Gajendra back to Godhead. Hare Krishna. Ultimate liberation at that moment because of this surrender. Krishna, I'm yours. So from the perspective of the bhakti philosophy, Vaishnavism, the, the surrender is, Krishna, I'm yours. And, when, and then Krishna reciprocates and gives us the understanding that, that Krishna, you're mine. This is revealed in the story of Ambarish Maharaj. He was also a great king. He had palaces, he had armies, he had family, he had wealth. He performed this fast in Madhuban for one year. He did the Akadasi and Dwadasi fast for one full year. And the culmination is three days of no food and no water. But he was doing it for the pleasure of Krishna. 
He was doing it for the welfare of all of his citizens, every living being within his kingdom. He was doing it for their welfare. By setting such an example and by offering the whatever um, benefits were coming, spiritual blessings, he was offering it to everyone. And after he completed a year of fasting and three days of no food or water, before breaking the fast, he gave millions of cows to the Brahmins. And every cow that he gave, millions, tens and millions, every cow he gave had a full milk bag, had at least one or more baby calves along with the cow. And every cow had gold, not like India, Bollywood type of gold, (laughs) but pure gold plated horns and pure silver plated hooves. Can you imagine such wealth he had? Who can give a gift like that today? Yes? Even at the marriage of your daughter, you cannot give a gift like that, whoever you are. Tens and millions of cows with full bags and calves, what to speak of just giving them, just transporting them. (laughs) And he gave them all away with gold. One cow, the amount of gold and silver on one cow is more than what most people's entire bank balances. <laughs> and he's giving them all away. And that was just the beginning of his gifts. And he was giving more and more and more and more. Then he was feeding everyone big, nice feasts. Then he was about to eat himself to break his fast. And just at that moment... Durvasamuni appeared on the scene. Durvasamuni, by all material calculation, really is Niskinchina. You never hear about Durvasamuni sleeping in a nice bed in some house. He slept in caves. He slept in forests, on riverbanks, under trees. He had no possessions. He just wore the simplest clothes of a mystic yogi. Never combed his hair. He had matted hairs. He's really, among yogis, he's really a renowned sage. Just traveling around. Meditating. So he appears. And Ambarish jumps up to receive him and offers him such nice sitting place and washes his feet and, and offers him prayers and says, please eat. I have such a nice feast for you. And Muni said, yes, I will eat, but first I must take my bath in Yamuna. Because he was a very strict Brahmin. So he had to perform his ritual before he could eat. So he went to Yamuna, and then when he went into Yamuna, he started meditating and entered into a state where he was meditating on Brahman. It appeared he was in Samadhi. 
So what is Ambarish going to do? He's told by the Brahmins, you have to immediately break your fast. Now in Kali Yuga, we're supposed to try to be as strict as possible. But if somehow or other there's a technical problem, somehow or other we'll get through it. (laughs) But this is in a previous Yuga. If Ambarish doesn't break his fast during the scheduled prarana, then what happens? Then the whole year of fasting, all the benefits are negated. Not only that, but it's an aparad. Instead of benefits to yourself and pleasing Krishna and benefits to everyone else, it becomes like a curse. So this is a serious thing. He has to break his fast on this moment. But at the same time, it's an offense if he doesn't break his fast, and it's offense if he eats before his guest, Durvasa Muni. So the Srimad Bhagavatam describes it was a very dangerous situation. He was really in the situations that we all get into sometimes. Why is this happening? Whatever you do, it seems it's going to be a problem. So he asks the Brahmins. This is the way that you usually get out of such things. You put the responsibility on others. He's the king. He's supposed to follow the spiritual advice of the Brahmins. So he tells Brahmins, what do I do? And Brahmins are Brahmins. (laughs) They didn't have that much time to discuss. But when they were discussing, so many had different opinions. And they couldn't come to a conclusion. So now, now Ambarish is the Brahmins have so many different opinions they can't give, come to a conclusion. They, they, I don't know how much they were arguing with each other, but they, you should do this. No, no, you, you should do this. No, no, you should do this. But according to this Shastra, you should do this. According to that Shastra, you should do this. According to my Shastra, you do this. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all Brahmins. They're all bona fide Brahmins. So Ambarish had to make up his own decision because the Brahmins weren't helping him. And at the same time, you know, it's not that you go up to Durvasa Muni and say, Durvasa Muni, come out of your samadhi immediately because you have to eat now. (laughs) It's not like you can do that. So Durvasa Muni is like, in the water and he could have been there for many days they don't know so it's really a difficult situation so Ambarish has to pray to Krishna please help me the Brahmins they're not giving me anything concrete to do so then he comes to his own conclusion and what was that? that if you drink water, it's considered a fast. 
But if you drink water, it's also considered breaking a fast. Drinking water is considered not eating. Drinking water is considered eating. And in this regard, in the purport to this verses, Srila Prabhupada quotes that some political leaders of India were doing fasting. What is the word? All these different Brahmins are giving different words. Radhe Sham Prabhu, a great Brahmin, is giving one word. Krishna Nanda Prabhu, a great Brahmin, is giving another word. They're all citing scriptures with different words. That's the way it is. Still like this. So Prabhupada said that they would only drink water, and this was considered fasting. So Ambarish came with his conclusion and presented it to all the Brahmins. That if I drink a little water, I'm breaking the fast, but if I drink a little water, I'm not breaking the fast. So should I drink a little water? And they said, yes, yes, very good, very good. Drink water. So he just drank a tiny bit of water. Durvasamuni was such a sage that he's in the Yamuna. (laughs) So much water. (laughs) And in those days, it was very, even the most materialistic person wanted to drink water from the Yamuna because it was very clean, very pure. Madhuban. And he's immediately under, he immediately recognizes through his mystical sensitivity, Ambarish drank water. He was so angry. His eyes were red like coals. His body was trembling with anger. And he insulted Ambarish the worst ways. For a Vaishnav, what he was saying Ambarish was just opposite everything he was trying to be. He said to Ambarish, you are a cruel. A Vaishnava wants to be compassionate. He's saying, you're cruel. He's saying, you're a hypocrite. Your, 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 your so-called devotion to, to Vishnu is simply bogus. You have no true devotion. You're just cheating everyone with your hypocrisy. And therefore, you, I must destroy you. Now, he was so angry, he pulled a bunch of hair from his head. You have to really be angry to do that. <laughs> Sometimes our brahmacharis, because they have shaved heads, they... They can't do that. <laughs> he was so angry. He pulled his hair out as it said a mantra, threw the hair on the floor. <laughs> Instantly, this, this personality whose body was made out of blazing fire, 
who had eyes and a mouth and was holding a trident and he was gigantic. He looked like devastation himself. Now Durasmuni was born in Chitrakut at Satya Anasuya as the son of Atrimuni and Anasuya. Soma was the avatar of Brahma. Datatraya was the avatar of Vishnu and the the avatar of Shiva was Durvasa. So he's very he's the real thing. <laughs> he really, if he wants to destroy, he's the destroyer. And with all of his potency, he created this monster of fire to destroy Ambarish. And this fiery monster roared. Can you imagine the sound of that roar? Fire roaring. And he's only inches away from Ambarish. And he jumps toward Ambarish to devour him. And Ambarish did not move a single foot. He didn't move. He didn't try to run away. Didn't call his armies to protect him. He just stood with folded palms, completely fearless. Pajahuremana Srinandanandana Abhaicharanaravindare. We pray to our mind, please worship Krishna. Because when you really absorb your mind, yourself, my mind, in worshiping Krishna, you become fearless. Because you've taken shelter of him. Srinandanandana. So Ambarish was in that mood. It wasn't just the theoretical practice. Here, death personified was inches away from devouring him. His family's there, his friends, his ministers, everything. He's about to lose everything. And Ambarish is fearless because Krishna, I'm yours. Because he gave his heart fully to Krishna, Krishna gave his heart fully to him. And Krishna, Achintya Shakti, he has a Sudarshan Chakra. Now, with this fiery demon right upon Ambarish, he only had not even seconds, moments to live. Narayan is in Vaikuntha. It's a long way. <laughs> so to send Sudarshan Chakra, he only had a moment. But for Vishnu, everything is possible. If Krishna wants to protect his devotee, it doesn't matter what the situation is. Within that one moment, Sudarshan Chakra, where, where did it come from? Vaikuntha? Where, where <coughs> just came right down and destroyed, liberated that personality created by Durvasa. Just immediately, the fire was extinguished, the person was gone. 
and then the Sudarshan Chakra redirected himself to Durvasa Muni. Now, who is Niskinchana? Ambarish is living in a beautiful palace. He has wives. And he has children. That means he's having sex. Yes? <laughs> he's, having, he's having children. He's having so many duties. He's wearing nice clothes when he's in his palace. And Durvasamuni is just wearing some tree bark or whatever. And he doesn't have any. He's completely celibate. Sadhu. Who's Niskinchana? When the fiery personification of devastation was about to devour Ambarish, he was fearless. He didn't move, just chanted God's name and gave his heart to Krishna with a prayer. When Sudarshan Chakra came toward Durvasamuni, as fast as he could, he ran away. Desperately fearful, really fearful. He was running. And Krishna is so expert. Whether he was running slow or fast, whether he was going two kilometers an hour or ten million kilometers an hour, Sudarshan was always the same distance, inches behind him. <laughs> He went to Brahma because when he when he couldn't get away by running, he started flying. And how could he fly? He didn't need an aircraft. How long would it take for any airplane to go to Brahma Loka? By the speed of our airplanes, it would take hundreds of millions of years for any of our airplanes to reach Brahma Loka. And still they can't reach. <laughs> but Durvasamuni went to Brahma Loka. Just by chanting mantras, such a powerful yogi. He falls at the feet of Brahma, save me, save me. Brahma said, myself and Lord Shiva and all the demigods, we are all under the control of Vishnu. This is Vishnu's weapon. There's nothing we can do for you. Then he went to Kailash the planet of Lord Shiva and fell at Shiva's feet Shankar Bhagavan please save me and Shiva said he said same thing we are all under the control of Lord Narayan we are all the servants of the servants of Narayan whatever powers we have is given to us by Narayan only he can save you Duvas was really determined to save his life. He flew all the way to Vaikuntha. That's determination. <laughs> and fell at the feet of Lord Vishnu and said, You are the Supreme Personality of Godhead. I have made an offense to your devotee. I beg forgiveness. Please save me. I take shelter of you. Lord Narayan said that 
I am completely under the control of my devotee. Even though I am supremely independent, I have given up my independence to be controlled by the love of my devotee. The devotee, I, is so absorbed in loving service to me that the devotee always keeps me through his remembrance or her remembrance in the very, very core of his heart. And therefore the devotee is always in the core of my heart. The devotee has given up everything for me and I give up everything for my devotee. And this is very personal. This is a very unique, individual, personal relationship that Krishna has with every pure devotee. Durvasamuni, you are asking me to, to be... You are asking me to help you. But I've given up my own free will. I'm living in the heart of Ambarish Maharaj. So therefore, immediately at this moment, you should go to Ambarish. So Durvasmuni understood what is Niskinchina. And what was Ambarisha's role? He was still standing there for one year, just waiting. He didn't eat. He was still waiting for his guest. And when when Durvasa Muni came back to Madhuban, where Ambarisha was still waiting, Sudarshan was still the exact distance behind him. (laughs) He was always feeling the heat. And Ambarish prayed. He prayed, Sudarshan Chakra, he glorified, you are the, the divine servant of Lord Narayan. He said, if ever I have done any dharma, any bhakti, anything I've ever done in the service of the Lord or for the good of others, let all those credits go toward saving Durvasa Muni. Please bless him. And Sudarshan, and the power of the prayers of Ambari, Sudarshan left Durvasa Muni. And Durvasa Muni started glorifying Ambarish. You are a true devotee. You are truly renounced, detached. You are Niskanchana, not me. And Ambarish, no, no, just eat, just eat some prasad. <laughs> and he fed him prasad. So Rukmini Devi is the goddess of devotion. She's the source. She's an expansion of Sri Radha, of Vrindavan. She's the source of all prema, all love. 
So she is speaking these beautiful words. That Krishna, you are... You are truly Niskinjana. You don't have anything. Why? Because you have everything. Because everything was within you and everything is of you. You are the source of everything that exists. The six opulences, beauty, knowledge, strength, fame, wealth, and detachment, renunciation. These opulences are what makes a person attractive in this world. Even in other species. Other species see beauty in each other. They see strength in each other. They see territorial property that they control. What to speak of humans? If someone's very beautiful, very strong, athletic, how much, how much are athletes attractive to people? It's all relative. In India, your cricket stars are really attractive. But in the West, nobody could care anything for a cricket star. They don't even know what cricket is. It's an insect. (laughs) But in India, cricket star is very attractive because of the strength and their speed. That strength. People who are extremely wealthy, extremely charitable, are very well attractive. People who have very extraordinary physical beauty. People who are great knowledge, wealth of information. Like encyclopedias, they can cite anything, anytime, and they can solve problems, and they know so much. People are attracted to fame. So these opulences make a person attractive. And therefore people are so um, passionate to somehow or other acquire these opulences. Or be attracted to these opulences. But Krishna's Bhagavan... Bhagavan means one who is the source of all these opulences. He's not just the proprietor of the opulences. He's the source of all the opulences. He's the complete whole of all the opulences. Incredible. Because whatever beauty or knowledge or strength or wealth or fame or renunciation anyone has, it's actually just a little spark of what belongs to Krishna. Krishna tells in Gita, all the incredible things in this world are just a spark of my splendor. So Krishna is niskinchana because he is the source of everything and nothing is ever outside of him. 
Therefore, from a material perspective, he's not just a proprietor of something like we could be. Our conception of proprietorship of anything is limited and temporary. But Krishna, everything is forever within him. So in this sense, it's a completely different conception. It's nirguna. It has nothing to do with our sense of proprietorship. It has nothing to do with our sense of renunciation. So Rukmini is taking Krishna's words to give the ultimate glorification of him. and to give all of us an entrance into this understanding. And ultimately, Rukmini conquers Krishna with her love, with her appreciation. Thank you very much. Yes, Krishna Nand Hare Krishna. Maharaj, thank you for the wonderful class. Just a small comment and small question. Like it's very difficult to find combination of uh, nishkinshan and uh, humility. Like, like the Vrathamuni was renounced but not humble. But here we have one great Vaishnav who is having both qualities and that is the author of the book, Journey Home, yourself. <laughs> and so grateful to you. <laughs> uh, a small question. You seem to be like in the, you are in the mood of Durvasa Muni. <laughs> My question is about Gajendra. When Gajendra was in danger, he actually sought help of uh, the Lord. Whereas when Amrish was in danger, or the Chakra was so close to him, he did not uh, ask for any help. So, like, what is the right course for a devotee who is in material danger, which is perfect? As far as my understanding of the story of Gajendra, he didn't ask for help. He surrendered himself. Maro bira ko bijo nityata sapratitua adhikar. 
My Lord, if you want to kill me, if you want to protect me, you have every right to deal with me in any way you please. I am yours. When Gajendra picked up that lotus and offered it in the sky with his prayers, he was offering his life. I'm yours, Krishna. That's Sharanagati. So that's a state of consciousness. Of course, if we're in danger and we sincerely absorb ourselves in a helpless mood of asking Krishna to protect us, then that's a very deep state of bhakti because we're turning to Krishna completely. But the highest state of bhakti is just to offer ourselves to Krishna as Ambarish and Gajendra. Hari Hari. Yes, Radesham Prabhu. Hare Krishna. Uh, thank you very much, Maharaj, for a very uh, beautiful explanation of uh, Rukmini's devotion to Krishna and also Gajendra and Ambarish. Very beautiful, very enlivening. Uh, when we hear such uh, wonderful presentations of uh, spiritual personalities, uh, it uh, deeply touches our hearts, Maharaj. And uh, I have read in the scriptures that uh, what what is the, actually the stumbling block uh, for the living entity in attaining the akinchanatvam is the ahankar and mamakar, the I and the mind, which actually is the foundation of uh, material existence, uh, which gives the proprietorship mentality in the living being. So, my question to you, Maharaj, was... Uh, what what uh, things remove this ahankar and mamakar so that one can uh, be an akinchana even in the path of religious life and pious life and spiritual life because the ahankar mamakar is not only the disease of materialistic living entities but it is a disease for even those on the religious path so how this uh, big stumbling blocks can be removed for one to become a true akinchana Ahankar is a disease. It is the root disease that is the cause of all suffering within creation. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he gave us the perfect medicine for this disease. Enechi asadi mara. Nashi Borolagi Hari Nam Mahamantra Lao Thumimagi. I have come to give you the supreme best medicine. Hari Nam Mahamantra. Please take this medicine. And Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu told us how to take the disease so that it will actually have its true effect. Humble, more humble than a blade of grass, more tolerant than a tree, to offer all respect to others, to expect none for oneself.
when we live striving, when we strive to live by these principles and we truly take shelter of the holy names, then it will quickly purify us of the influence of ahankar. It actually brings us to our original natural healthy state of understanding that we are all eternally loving servants of Krishna. And Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, by his own prayer and his own example, taught us a very simple way of living this verse practically. Gopi Bharatur Padakamalayora Das Das Anudas. By sincerely striving to be the servant of the servant of the servant. And in this spirit, whatever we do, its motivation is to please Lord Hari. Is there any other question? Arijata Mata, please. Uh, Maharaj, in the opening you mentioned that uh, Maya presents uh, limitless justifications uh, in the way we exercise our free will. Um, and a lot of times we may not exercise it to choose Krishna. Um, and this is a challenge every moment because uh, every moment we, have, we are choosing um, you know, our free will, uh, what we want to do and how we surrender to Krishna. Um, so how we can make sure that we are practically making the right decision. Sincerity is important. Sincerity means with a genuine desire to make spiritual progress, to become purified, to please Krishna, Guru, Vaishnav. That's actually our motivation. Not that we have an ulterior motive. Srila Prabhupada said we should be serious, we should be sincere, and we should not have ulterior motives. And Krishna will come to help us. So when we are sincere to actually please Krishna, then we accept the help that Krishna has given us. Through Srila Prabhupada and our Guru Parampara, We've been given the holy name of Krishna as a means to purify us and give us that connection. So we should chant very sincerely, very attentively, very faithfully. We've been given this knowledge which helps us to act, which which empowers us with Krishna's grace to discriminate between what is proper and what is improper. 
We have Bhagavad Gita, Chaitanya Charitamrita, Srimad Bhagavatam, Ishopanishad, many nectar of devotion, so many scriptures. So when we come to these classes with an earnest and sincere desire to to have this wisdom, to have this spiritual strength with us, and Krishna empowers us through his name, Krishna empowers us through the reading these books, through coming to these harikatas. And what the knowledge we get from these books is we shouldn't live selfishly, we shouldn't live arrogantly. Real detachment, real renunciation is very simple. Ambarish Maharaj was really detached more than Durvasamuni. It means to have a simple heart, to have a simple well-wishing heart to serve others and ultimately to help others in their spiritual path toward Krishna. If that's our motivation, Krishna will be with us and will help us to give the right decisions. And if we have a, if we have serious doubt, we can ask some senior devotees. But we may get the same situation as Ambarish, so many different opinions. <laughs> but the difference of opinions really are only on an application perspective. But the principle you will get the same opinion from all sincere devotees. So take guidance from the name of Krishna. Take guidance through your prayers. Take guidance from the scriptures. Take guidance from the sadhus and the Vaishnavas. And be sincere. And this way Krishna will always be with you. Does that answer your question? Thank you. Her name is Parijata Devi. Rukmini had a Parijata flower. <laughs> Satyabhama also wanted a Parijata flower. Can you imagine? They must be very beautiful, fragrant flowers. And they don't just wilt and go away after a day or two. So Krishna went to Indraloka and Satyabhama saw a Parijata tree and said, actually, I want the whole tree. <laughs> Krishna asked Indra, please give me the tree. Why did they go to Indraloka? Because Bhomasura, Bhomasura, he stole the earrings from Aditi, the mother of the demigods, and he had 16,100 princesses that he had captured in his palace, and the fathers of the princesses, he was having sacrifices, cutting off their heads for, in human sacrifices. He was really a very difficult person. And Krishna freed all the queens. And then all the queens said, that we've given our hearts to you. We could never marry anyone else. 
So Krishna said, all right, then I will marry you. <laughs> and he married all of them to give them shelter, freed their husbands, I mean, not their husbands, their fathers and their relatives. And then he would, Satyabhama went all the way to the heavens to bring the earrings and, the, and back to the mother of the demigods, Aditi. So he did all that for the demigods. And then he just asked for a little tree. And Indra declared war against him. <laughs> he was so attached to this tree. And Krishna sobered up Indra, and Indra realized, why did I do that? Please take the tree. <laughs> so Satyabhama had the whole tree in her palace garden. Now, materially, you know, Rukmini could have said, she, I only have one flower, she has a whole tree. Rukmini was happy with one flower. Satyabhama was happy with one tree. <laughs> Rukmini was happy with one flower. And Krishna was happy with both of them. <laughs> Satyabhama was only wanted the tree for Krishna's pleasure. And Rukmini only wanted the flower for Krishna's pleasure. So although they had very different apparent personalities, they had the same purpose. To love Krishna. So thank you for reminding us of this story. Not through your question, but through your very wonderful existence and presence. And actually every devotee, every devotee, we should see each other in this spirit. And every devotee has their own special, unique way of helping to remind us of Krishna. And we should learn to appreciate each other in this way. To be appreciated, sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. If you're attached to it, you'll suffer. But to appreciate, you could always do it. So if you get your happiness by be appreciating, sometimes you'll be a little happy, but it'll never be enough, and sometimes you'll suffer. But if you get your happy in appreciating others, then you can always be transcendentally happy. And this is the spirit we chant the holy names. Hare Krishna. So, we have three wonderful Vaishnav couples who have come together to seek the blessings of all the devotees assembled here in front of the deities. Uh, may I ask uh, Siddhi Bhandarkar Mataji to stand up?